Matthew's take, view, of what we might call the Christmas story, the birth of Christ. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through 25. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. And you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. Our second scripture reading comes from the book of Acts. The 13th chapter. Beginning in verse 16. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Men of Israel and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. The God of the people of Israel chose our fathers. He made the people prosper during their stay in Egypt. With mighty power, he led them out of that country. He endured their conduct for about 40 years in the desert. He overthrew seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to his people as their inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After this, God gave them judges until the time of Samuel, the prophet. Then the people asked for a king, and he gave them Saul, son of Kish, of the tribe of Benjamin, who ruled 40 years. After removing Saul, he made David their king. He testified concerning him. I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. From this man's descendants, God has brought to Israel the Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before the coming of Jesus, John preached repentance and baptism to all the people of Israel. As John was completing his work, he said, Who do you think I am? I am not the one, no, but he is coming after me, whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. Brothers and sisters, children of Abraham, and you God-fearing Gentiles, it is to us that this message of salvation has been sent. The people of Jerusalem and the rulers did not recognize Jesus. Yet in condemning him, they fulfilled the words of the prophets that are read every Sabbath. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they'd carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days, 
he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our fathers, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising Jesus. May God bless our understanding, the reading of this, his word. Amen. Well, this is kind of a wrap-up sermon for our year through the Bible. Uh, we went through the Bible this year because we're a church that honors the word of God. I hope the readings, whatever reading you've done, the classes we've had, the sermons, uh, I hope they've encouraged you toward a larger and deeper understanding of God's word. I, I hope your reading of God's word will become a lifelong activity. I hope you will, you have, build it into your daily life. I hope we got a sense of how all the different parts fit together into a larger part and whole. We're six days from the celebration of the birth of Christ, the event of God coming into this world as one of us. And those of us who've read the Bible through this year know that God's coming into this world does not come easy. I hope one of the things you've discovered as you've read the Bible is that there's a lot of mess. It's not a story without ugliness and problems. Uh, Will Willimon is a snarky and cynical Bible preacher. Maybe that's why I like him. I don't know. But he said, the scriptures of Israel, our Old Testament, are a long story of people busily attempting to be done with God. Really, I mean... Read the Hebrew Scriptures, and you know it is not the story of how humanity embraces God. There's a lot of rebellion against God. There's a lot of running from God. There's a lot of ignoring God. It began in Genesis when God creates us in His image. And then we return the compliment. And we try to make God like us. We try to make him in our image. And golden calves are made, and we read about everyone doing what's right in their own eyes, and prophets are killed. But in these same scriptures, we see a God who is relentless and determined despite our rebellion. This God just won't give up on us, no matter no matter how many times we reject him, no matter how many times we spit in his face, no matter how we try to run away or how try, far people try to run away, he hangs in there. The words of the Old Testament prophets are particularly full of promises that one day God would come to us. God promised to come in spite of the sad human history that we've created. God vowed to be with us, to show us God's glory, power, and love. And that all sounded fine until God Almighty dramatically made good on his promise and he actually showed up. And he didn't show up as the God we wanted, 
Rather, he showed up in the person of Jesus of Nazareth. What he said and what he did led him to be arrested and executed. And then when he didn't stay dead, things really got going. This is the story that Paul tells in that synagogue in Antioch that we read in Acts chapter 13. You know, we have letters from Paul that make up a large portion of our New Testament, and we have details of his missionary journeys in the book of Acts, but this is the only sermon that we get of Paul, the only example of him preaching. And he walks the people gathered in worship in that place right through the big story of God. That's what he does. He begins by saying, you know, he says it's for Israel and it is for Gentiles. God's story of redemption is for all people. Paul was a Jew, but he was called by God to bring the message of God's love and grace to all people, not just those within Judaism, not just some people, but all people. Paul speaks of the fathers who we know are Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's where God starts the story. And he reminds people listening in that synagogue that when the people who came from these fathers were in Egypt, God led them out on their way into the wilderness. And Paul says God had to endure their conduct. Did you catch that? It's not like after all God did for Israel, they just loved God right back. He endured with them. And Paul recounts how God gave them judges. And then he gave them a king. And Paul invokes those great names of Samuel and Saul. And then David. David, a man after God's own heart who brought Israel independence. He brought them prosperity. He brought them strength. And Paul tells everyone, it is from that man, David. It's from his descendants that God has sent Jesus the Savior. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Micah, other prophets had said, when God comes, it will be through David's line. Another king will appear. The Messiah will come from David. Paul reminds him about John the Baptist. People wondered, might he be the one from God? John said, nope, not me. He said, there's one coming who's even greater than I am. And then Paul says to all listening in that synagogue, he says to them, this message of salvation has been sent. What is this message of salvation? And Paul recounts the arrest and the trial and the killing of Jesus and then how God raised him from the dead because that event is our salvation. Why does Paul go through the entire story of Israel and connect it to Jesus? Because... He wants everybody to understand that this whole story, the entire history of this people and God's purposes are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the big story. Everything involving Abraham and Sarah and the deliverance from Egypt and the reign of David and the coming and the message of the prophets and John the Baptist and everything in between points to Jesus And in spite of our running from God, God didn't give up on us. And then Paul delivers his punchline a few verses later when he says, Therefore, 
my brothers, I want you to know that though that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you through him. Everyone who believes is justified from everything you could not be justified from by the law of Moses. A new day has come with Jesus of Nazareth. A new way of relating to God has been revealed. You really don't understand the significance of Christmas until you get the meaning of the story of Jesus. And I'm not talking about the part about the manger. I know you got that. And we cannot grasp the meaning of the story of Jesus until we see the fact that it is the climactic episode of the great story of the Bible, the chronicling of God's work in all of history. When God's good creation was fouled by human rebellion, God immediately set out on a salvation mission. He created this world. It rightly belonged to him, and now God would redeem it. He'd buy it back for himself so that it might be restored to what he always intended it to be. And Paul walks through the story of Israel to show how God has moved among his people to accomplish this redemption and this restoration. In his life, in his life, Jesus shows what that salvation looks like. The power to heal. Mercy to the brokenhearted. Judgment to the self-sufficient and the self-satisfied. In his death, Jesus wages war against all the powers of evil and defeats them. In his resurrection, Jesus opens a door to be reconciled with God and he holds that door open for us and invites us in. That's the gospel. That is why the angel said there was good news of great joy at his birth. Christmas points us toward the story which tells us that God sent his redemptive plan in motion for the salvation of a world, a world that was at enmity with him and that was at enmity with his loving purposes, but God has come to end that alienation. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. Where do you think the books of the Old Testament came from? Don't give me the academic answer. I know that. They came from people who believed that God was moving in history, and he was the most real thing that there was. All the writings of the New Testament are written by, for, and about people who believed with all their heart that the God of that Old Testament had entered the world in Jesus of Nazareth. And every one of those books, the Gospels, Acts, all those letters, Revelation, are ultimately about Jesus Christ. The Bible is for us to know and to be in relationship that God who has come in Christ. It is for us to know what he's done, how he's worked, and who he is. But he's not just to be read about. He's to be lived for. He's to be worshipped. He's to be known. One of the things Paul preaches is that Jerusalem did not recognize Jesus when he came. Jerusalem was the place of worship. Jerusalem was a very spiritual, religious city. Jerusalem was where the scriptures were being studied and read and discussed like no other place. Yet when God came in Jesus, he wasn't recognized. 
Be careful, because we can read the Bible and miss the meaning. As Jesus once said, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that testify on my behalf, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You know, the people who gave Jesus the most problems were the Bible readers. Go figure. Jesus wants us to believe in him and to follow him, not just read about him. We can read the Bible until we're blue in the face, but we need to personally come to Jesus. We need to place our faith in him for our lives, lay our lives before him. The New Testament is built on the preaching of those eyewitnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ, people who knew him, believed in him, and lived for him. The story leads us to Christ. Think about it. He continues to be the leading figure in all of human history. Our calendars are predicated upon his life. Where would the art world be without him? Take out all the paintings in art over history that have had to do with him, and man, our museums would be a lot less and a lot more empty rooms in them. How many hospitals and universities and orphanages and ministries were started by people who did it because their lives were captured by him and they bear the names of those who worshipped him? Every time you hear of a a St. Mark's, a St. Vincent de Paul, a St. Francis, a St. whatever, or a school with a Luther, a Calvin, or a Wesley school, it's because of him. The pain of our world is met by organizations like World Vision and Salvation Army and Compassion International, none of which would exist without him. They are fueled by his influence. Graves continue in all parts of the world to be marked by crosses. Why is that? Cemeteries all over. Why? It's because of him. You know, when Paul was invited to speak in that synagogue, this is how it got started. Someone stood up and invited him and those who were with him. They said, if you have a message of encouragement, please speak. Verse 15, it says that. If you have a message of encouragement, please speak. And Paul must have thought, I've got something to say. I've got a message of encouragement. Our story... The Christian story is really the ultimate story of encouragement. Be encouraged that through the mess of all history, God still comes to us. Be encouraged that even though we've rejected God again and again and again and again, he still has come to us. Be encouraged that we don't have a God who remains angry or he keeps tally of all our failings. Be encouraged that no matter how much you fail, if you seek the Lord with sincerity, he will forgive. Be encouraged that we have a God who walks with us and promises his constant presence. Be encouraged that God didn't think it was beneath him or his glory or his love to become like us, but he entered human existence. That didn't compromise who he was, that revealed who he was. Be encouraged that we don't have to fear death because Jesus came and he dealt with it. 
Be encouraged that in this world, this is not all there will ever be. And he is bringing a new heaven and a new earth where death will be no more and mourning and crying and pain will be no more. In fact, there is no other story in which people are living that provides the love and the hope that our story does. Every other religious story says you've got to climb the ladder to God. You need to work for it. Ours says God comes down to us in humility and in grace and in mercy. He climbs down to us. Some people are living in a story that says, you know what, you're alone in your suffering and that yet or you have to become spiritual enough to get over that suffering. Our story is that God comforts us. He has even entered into our suffering and suffered with us and for us. Some stories say history has no purpose. It's moving towards nothing. Our story says history is moving towards complete redemption where every wrong will be righted and justice will be accomplished. Some stories that people are living in say, you know, this is all an accident. Everything is random. It's a crapshoot. Our story says no. Every human life is of tremendous value. And what we do has meaning and things like love and justice and creativity matter. Some people live in a story that says, I need to look out for myself. Ours is a story that says one came to sacrifice for us and so we will become servants of others. Some people are living in a story that only seeks to get more, more wealth, more food, more fun, more experiences. That narrative gets played a lot this time of year especially. Our story is one of contentment. Some people are living in a story that says they have to pay for their mistakes and their sins. Our story says someone has come and paid for those for you. As a matter of fact, this one is God himself. The Christian gospel tells how the God we read about in these 66 books entered history. How the eternal came into time. How the kingdom of heaven has invaded earth. How God became flesh. And it is a story worth living in. Let's pray. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God of Moses, Ruth, and David. God of the prophets, John the Baptist. God of Mary and Joseph. God of Peter and Paul. God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let the word dwell in us with all richness. May it convict us, form us, and nourish us. We thank you for leading us this year. Take everything that's been preached, everything that's been taught, everything that has been read this year in this church and bless it to the increase of our faith. We praise you that the word has become flesh 
and that we have not just heard about him, but we've seen him. We thank you for the grace and the truth of his life. Let that be our celebration this week. Let that be our worship. Let him be on our hearts and his praise on our lips. For the word is not just on the page, but has become flesh and we have seen his glory. And all of God's people with one voice said, Amen. Let's stand together. I'm encouraged to uh, know a God that Phil is saying that we can always draw near into. Um, we're going to sing a, a block of Christmas songs that I really want to encourage you to draw into these lyrics. They are packed with meaning uh, and significance and life. And um, the biggest theme in all these lyrics as I was thinking about them this morning is victory. Um, that God has won and God is present and among us. And that is worth everything that we have, everything that we bring to the table. Let's worship. Thank you. 